Hi, and welcome back to CPG and Food Day here at Global Supply Chain Week. My name is Kevin Hill, executive publisher here at Freight Waves. And in our next fireside chat, we're going to talk about refrigerated containers with Greg Tejo from C-Cube Containers. Thanks for joining us today, Greg. Thank you for having me, and it's, uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Hey, can you give us a little bit of background on C-Cube and uh, yourself as well? Sure. Um, I'll start with C-Cube. C-Cube's been around for almost 28 years, and uh, we're one of the largest uh, container lessers in the industry. Specifically, we uh, focus uh, on reefer containers. Uh, we also do um, dry containers, gensets, and, and equipment financing as well. In terms of my own background, um, I have over 30 years in the shipping industry. Uh, I've held various positions in uh, operations, trade management, sales, and pricing. Um, and now I am the chief commercial officer for C-Cube Container Leasing. Very good. So the last 12 months, I mean, even, you know, I think we all might get tired of asking about how COVID has affected different industries, uh, but it's, it's one thing that, that we can't get past, right? Because it, it really has had the most and, and most powerful impact of, of anything else. And so my first question is, how has COVID impacted uh, the business for, for, for leasing and moving refrigerated containers? Right. Let me let me back up and uh, I'll take you back to uh, March of 2020. And that's when uh, the pandemic really started to affect uh, us here in the United States, but also around the globe. And we were very, very concerned uh, first quarter of 2020 about the impact of COVID, the challenges and the economic uh, impact overall that would impact the container leasing industry. Um, surprisingly, and, and we're certainly uh, happy to report that Quickly after uh, April, the demand for container leasing uh, was very, very strong with a catch-up program that took place on the um, side of the carrier. So uh, if you would ask me to forecast the outcome of 2020 last March, I would have probably been 180 degrees off of where we ended up. Uh, with that being, yeah, with that being said, uh, the as you probably know and everyone else knows, the outcome uh, was very, very favorable, not only for container leasing, but for also the container shipping uh, operators. When we think about con refrigerated containers, uh, you know, and, and international shipping, what are some of the, the, the most popular commodities uh, that, that you move or industries move with refrigerated containers? Uh, bananas are uh, one of the top commodities, uh, but cherries, grapes, avocados, uh, frozen fish. Um, there's a lot of fish farming that's taking place around the globe now, and that seems to be a common trend. Uh, protein is another large, large commodity that uh, is also um, on the top of the uh, trend line as well. Yeah, so I, so so it's much different than the commercial demand versus consumer demand. I'm going to still uh, analogy that Kyle Littner over at K Ratio uses all the time is that the the trucking logistics for walking into a nice steak restaurant, ordering a couple steaks and a couple beers, is is much different than the the supply chain and the demand for going in and spending the same amount of money in a grocery store. So there's a lot more goods. You know, there's a lot more buying power. You can buy twenty or you know, by five or ten steaks, maybe it depends on what kind of steakhouse you go to, right? Um, which which increases uh, the the volumes of goods that are, are moving. Uh, 
Is that something that you guys uh, at C-Cube uh, felt over the last uh, few months? Um, certainly there was a shift uh, during the pandemic and over the last few months. Uh, of course, we saw a shift because of the services industries, um, you know, specifically the restaurant, the entertainment, the cruise ship business, you know, that all does impact perishables and, and commodity uh, movements based on demand cycle. So, but the shift actually um, was offset in terms of volume by the higher demand for what we consider the retail consumer perishables. So um, all in all, the demand held up very, very well. In fact, um, the reefer trade market has been probably the most resilient uh, out of any of the trade groups in terms of being consistent and the demand cycles seem to be um, continuing that in that uh, in that fashion. Yeah, you see that on the domestic side too, though the refrigerated outbound tender rejection levels uh, nationally have been well north of 40%. So almost two out of every five loads tendered have been have been rejected by domestic carriers, trucking trucking companies here. And it's, it's kind of that, that same narrative, right? Is that the consumer demand uh, instead of commercial, it went from commercial demand to consumer demand, which means really more freight. And we've seen that both uh, uh, domestically and we've seen it, as you just said, on the international side too, coming over. Yeah, and specifically, you know, right after the pandemic uh, started to unfold, uh, of course, that retail sector on the consumer household uh, perishable side of the business really grew exponentially. And that was because, generally speaking, there, were, there seemed to be a run on food in most locations. And the large grocery chain retailers, big box retailers, um, they, couldn't, they could not keep enough frozen and perishable commodities uh, in stock. And I think we all experienced that uh, when we went to our local grocery store. So um, that demand, and that was, you know, a lot of it was because of that uh, that big push for uh, commodities tied to the commercial, and not the commercial side, but to the retail side, uh, really was the big push. It was, yeah. And you can see that in a number of different industries, but the grocery side is, is certainly uh, the, the most prominent uh, of those. On the perishable side, uh, has there been any disruptions in the normal flow of goods internationally? Or customers and, and shippers, are they 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 trying to rework their, where they procure some of their, their their product because of disruptions in their supply chain? I would not say there's been a lot of alternative sourcing. Uh, I think for the most part, uh, the sourcing has probably remained the same. I think the the most important. Um, area that is of concern is the congestion logistics challenges and the throughput um, constraints that we're experiencing. So I think there's been alternative uh, routings that have been certainly uh, explored and also executed by some of the major shippers. So I think that's that's certainly on the, on the, um, on the forefront of everyone's mind right now to make sure that there's not any uh, delays, or at least they're trying to mitigate delays. So I think that that is certainly uh, something that's uh, been a priority as of late. So I think that uh, will continue until things probably clear up a bit. Yeah, let's talk about port congestion because it is the, it is the, the top headline news right now. Uh, we've been publishing quite a few articles on it on FreightWaves.com and there are best performers. You know, it's, it's like all eyes are, especially on the, the West Coast, Port of Long Beach, Port of LA, 
uh, looking at, um, we have some video up, looking at the traffic jam and the congestion out there on the ports, you know, how does that, how does that affect the, the refrigerated container uh, shippers out there? Yeah, certainly the, uh, the congestion and some of the issues re related to logistics and just trying to look at the conveyance of uh, reefer containers and perishables has been a, a real concern. But there's been uh, alternative services that have uh, recently been launched to go ahead and offset some of that. Um, and some of the major lines have considered that. Um, I was just on a webinar the other day with Northwest Seaport Alliance. So there's certainly some alternative gateways being explored with additional plug capacity for reefers. So I think um, at this point, I think there are some alternatives being certainly uh, used. And I think trade routes will probably continue to be fluid uh, just to go ahead and, and, and offset some of the challenges that the shippers are facing. When you, when you say trade routes are, are going to become fluid, is that maybe routing to different ports, maybe on the East Coast, Houston, maybe uh, different ports than, than the West Coast? I think so. I think it all depends on commodities and uh, transit times and demand cycles, too. So, so some of the commodities and some of the uh, demand for perishables may not be uh, or may not lend to longer transit East Coast uh, routing. But I would say that uh, certainly any alternative that would be, uh, you know, something that would offset some of the risk uh, where there is major port congestion uh, will be considered. How about, you know, we, we all always talk about the West Coast ports and, and the Asia trade. What about Europe and, and Latin America? Are we seeing the same kind of congestions and buildup and, and disruptions in, in those areas as well? Uh, or is that something that's you know, unique to the West Coast? Um, some regions are worse than others. I would say that uh, certainly in Europe, I know that the UK has uh, had significant problems um, in other ports in, in Europe as well. And a lot of this is due to the, um, the outcome of COVID relative to labor supply, uh, available capacity because of labor supply. So, you know, it all kind of comes back to um, the impact of COVID the infection rates and not having consistency across the supply chains with uh, even capacity flows uh, through the supply chain. So, um, if, of course, that will get better as we continue uh, through the year with vaccinations taking place. But uh, that has been uh, significant in certain regions. But some regions, again, have been probably um, hit a little bit harder than others. Yeah, I would imagine the UK is, is probably feeling a lot of pain right now with Brexit and COVID. You have a lot of things going on uh, in UK and, and Europe that uh, are natural disruptors, right? True. Yeah. And that's been a real challenge and uh, an obstacle or an impediment for a lot of the shippers that, uh, you know, have a significant uh, volume through those uh, those areas. Yeah, let's, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about non-COVID items and patterns of demand and supply. Uh, what are some other factors out there or trends that are going into the future that, you know, that are affecting consumer and customer, customer demand that you're seeing when it comes to refrigerated containers and what commodities are loaded and, and, and how they're shipped? There's several different factors that are, I would consider, key catalysts to the ongoing growth of reefer trade. Um, 
One, one is just the population growth. So with the the pressure on on sourcing commodities outside uh, local communities, there's going to continue to be that trend. Um, I give you, I will give you one example. I think seafood is is one area that's going to continue to have more outsourcing because of the the farming that's taking place and the organic fish stocks that have been under pressure. So I think that's one area. Um, the other key catalyst, and 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 I think most people are aware, is I, I think all of us are looking toward a healthier diet, which is requiring healthier foods, which is also requiring year-round supply of such commodities that normally would be seasonal. So therefore, I think sourcing alternatives are starting to expand beyond just local communities and going outside of that uh, traditional uh, sourcing um uh, format. So that would be another one. I think the other piece here that is probably not that large in terms of volume, but it will have probably some impact on the reefer trade is the pharma industry. So the pharma industry has looked at uh, container, refrigerated container vaccine storage, uh, last mile transport. And a lot of this may not be happening right now because air freight is the, the key mode for vaccine transport. But as we get further along, emerging markets that don't have the infrastructure and maybe don't have the um, access to either temperature controlled facilities may use containers for refrigerated containers for vaccine storage, overflow storage, or last mile delivery. So that could be another area that uh, would be an opportunity for a lot of participants in this trade. Yeah, I think uh, I think air freight right now is is cheaper than than ocean freight on the dry goods side. So I imagine it, the, the 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 spread between the two air and and, and maritime is probably a little bit even uh, wider when you're talking about refrigerated containers or or air freight. True. Yeah, the urgency right now uh, is obviously distribution of the vaccine, um, and and that is actually taking the priority and therefore air freight and that mode is is the priority for getting vaccines to the right place at an expedited time frame. Um, but eventually I think there will be a place and, uh, and maybe an application for ISO refrigerated container vaccine storage. And as you know, and most others, I think there's going to be a vaccine uh, temperature controlled requirements that will lend to maybe a more typical refrigerated container than super freezer containers as well. Yeah, I, I, I think you're exactly right on that point. Uh, I, on, on your other point uh, in the question before, we're talking about organic versus, you know, say farmed or, or should we say commercially produced or highly efficiently commercially, uh, commercially produced uh, food and, and, and perishables. How different are those two supply chains, right? So, so organic is is more specialty niche, uh, kind of normally lower volumes, and and it's just a different supply chain, right? Between commercially <clears throat> produced uh, perishables and foods and, and farmed uh, things like seafood and organic, you know, how's that? How's that going to change? The, the change that really the, the corporate supply chains uh, going forward and how how those products are sourced and, and transported. The specialty products, I think, will continue to go ahead and, and grow. And I think that trend is already 
showing that there's an, a very upward trajectory of uh, more and more demand for organic type products. And again, that ties back to, I think, just the general public being more conscientious of healthier diets. And whether that's a plant-based diet or whether that's tied to healthier diets, I think um, in terms of the stratification between a traditional uh, produced uh, commodity that was uh, more of the commercial type uh, segment versus organic, I think we're starting to see a shift there where there's going to be more organic. Um, I don't think the commercial side will ever go away. I think there's always going to be mass produced products on the perishable side that will continue. But I do think there'll be a lot of growth in specialty perishable type uh, commodity segments as we go forward. And I guess there's going to be a lot of efficiency gains in in how those those organic, you know, the smaller companies, those organic uh, perishables, are are both procured and and moved, you know, in, into the U.S. Right. Yeah, and that I think that also is tied back to containerization. So containerization um, continues to be the number one mode of transport for organic products. One is because it's efficient. The other piece of that is because technology advancements have been uh, so significant that it's allowed us to obviously uh, continue with longer transits with controlled atmosphere and also uh, better outcomes. So I think you know waste has been mitigated or minimized, and I think that uh, we can go ahead and <clears throat> outsource to other areas that uh, you know ten years ago would maybe be uh, not. Uh, not uh, so viable. Mm -hmm. well, let's dive into technology a little bit. You know, that it's, it's increasing efficiencies and eliminating waste in, in refrigerated containers and, and shipping of those. Uh, what are some of the, 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 the best technologies out there or the, or the biggest improvements that you've seen that you're most excited about, Greg? Well, one is, and I just mentioned this, is the uh, controlled atmosphere uh, technology has... Uh, yeah, what, what exactly is that? So and that, those of us who, who yeah. aren't familiar with it. Yeah, yeah. And, and that is controlling the, um, you know, the environment inside the container uh, between uh, what would normally be oxygen levels or um, CO2 levels. And that basically slows down the ripening process for uh, certain fruits and vegetables and also preserves the <clears throat> commodity for longer periods of time. So uh, that, that particular technology advancement, uh, you know, used to be uh, much different. And now we have passive and active type controlled atmosphere technology that has allowed uh, for people to ship product for a lot longer with uh, now extending to longer transits. And again, with much better outcomes in terms of um, what happens on the other side when that gets to either the shelf or the table. So I think that that has been probably the number one improvement. But of course, you know, there's also uh, telematics, which is basically tracking, tracing, early warning diagnostics for the interior of the container to make sure that the product is uh, at the right uh, temperature, has the right humidity, has the right airflow. So I think all of those things have uh, proven to be uh, certainly a major shift in allowing us to do more at uh, at uh, longer distances, and that's really a big, big breakthrough. So, so Craig, what is your uh, prognosis for 2021 for for the rest of the year? What do you see happening in uh, in, in in international shipping? 
Well, on the on the refrigerated container side, I'll start with um, an outlook on that, and that is um, we see the year being still very very favorable in terms of uh, the growth and the demand, and also uh, that particular segment of of the trade will continue to probably be very very favorable in terms of it standing up all the way through the end of the year. Um, in shipping in general, I think also will probably be a, a positive outcome just because of the stimulus and also some of the other things that are attributing to the economy being held up and, uh, and basically um, being favorable as well. Well, thank you so much, Greg, for joining us today and sharing your knowledge about refrigerated containers and the market going forward into 2021. How does our audience reach out and learn more about C-Cube and contact you uh, directly, Greg? Uh, the audience can go ahead and, and look at cubecontainers.com and they can go on our website and that has information about our product services and also uh, how to contact us. Um, in addition, if there's any questions, I'll be happy to receive emails. My email is gtuthill at cubecontainers.com and I'm happy to go ahead and answer any questions or provide any additional information uh, related to today's discussion. Thank you very much again, Greg. Greg Tuthill. Uh Chief Commercial Officer at C-Cube Containers. Uh, stay tuned for our next fireside chat. Yeah, thank you, Kevin. Appreciate the opportunity to uh, participate today.